Transmission incoming, over. Copy that, transmission received. Great. Welcome back to Skinwalker Radio. My guest today is Shane Hurd. He is an investigator who specializes in things like UFOs, UFPs. He's got some experience with MUFON, and he's here today to talk about Skinwalker Ranch. He's here to talk about UFOs, UAPs, and some of the investigations he's done. Uh, and we'll just get started and just kind of see where it takes us. So welcome to the show, Shane. Yeah, thanks a lot, Seth. That sounds great. Yeah, so you mentioned that you do a lot of investigations and you're involved with uh, MUFON in various capacities. So I wanted to have you on the show just to talk about your experiences, things that you've researched. Yeah. I know you're familiar with some of the research that uh, you know Gary Voorhees and, and PJ Hughes have done, and you're familiar with those guys and their stories. So I wanted to bring you on just mm -hmm. to talk about their experiences, kind of get some more insight into what yeah. you think is happening. Okay, cool. Well, I'll just kind of touch off on my background a little bit to, to set the, the stage. Um, you know, I, as a kid, I, you know, I'm old enough. I'm a product of the uh, space, ge uh, space race generation. And, you know, like every other eight year old kid in America, I wanted to be an astronaut and kind of always had that fascination, but really didn't, have a lot of interest in the years where I was growing up and, you know, raising a family and starting a career and all that stuff. But um, I'm a resident of the city of Phoenix. And when the Phoenix Lights uh, incident happened, though I didn't see anything myself, you know, it happened in my own backyard and it really sparked my interest. And so from that point on, I started to kind of pay attention a little bit to uh, UFOs and you know back then cable really started going and offering television shows about it so I would watch those kind of casually um, but it wasn't until 2010 where I really kind of took a, a more significant interest and I, I started reading everything I could and the first book I read was uh, The Day After Roswell and that was by uh, Corso and, and Bill Burns and when I read it I, you know, I kind of was skeptical, actually. I was a little disappointed and almost gave up on the whole whole topic, you know. And then um, it just so happened that Leslie Kane's book, uh, UFOs, Generals, Pilots, um, uh, I think it's um, Generals and, you know, Political Officials or something, they uh, came out. And it, it was, to me, the real deal. I mean, this is what I was looking for, very, you know, objective uh, her, her book was really written from the perspective of an investigative journalist, and I thought it was really well done. So that rekindled my interest, and I just started devouring everything I could thereafter. But after a few years, I got to where I'm like, well, you know, I don't want to just be a consumer of this information. I, I want to do something with it, you know, and I want to play. I want to engage and, you know, contribute in some way. So I started kind of surfing um, Facebook and, and different groups and got connected with people and ended up um, finding out that, you know, ufology is sort of like a smorgasbord. I mean, there's just everything from abduction to, you know, the nuts and bolts folks to the consciousness folks and everything in between. And, and uh, um, you know, I thought, well, you know, I, I'm going to just have to pick a lane here because there's just too much 
um, you know, to choose from. And, and you know, I'm going to go for what interests me. And that, that really was sort of the nuts and bolts UFOs. You know, I wanted to know what was that metal object, aircraft or whatever it is in the sky, you know, and that was kind of my driver. But um, having been in the government uh, as a government employee for 20 years plus, technology fields, engineering fields, uh, I knew I could function in a, you know, a, a large organization. Um, and I wanted, I wanted to be able to apply kind of those skills that I had and, in a way that, you know, I could be successful. So I looked around and I, I saw MUFON, of course, and um, I became a member and I was a member for about two years and I decided I wanted to become an investigator. So I went through that process, uh, you know, got the training manual, uh, studied it, got taken the test, got my background check, got assigned to a chapter, and they they pair you up with an experienced investigator and mentor you, and and off I went. And so um, it's really been a great ride. I've been doing that for three or four years. I've um, investigated probably 75, 80 cases. And in fact, recently I was appointed the assistant director, the state director of uh, Arizona MUFON. So it's been really just a fascinating and fun time. Plus, I've been exposed to a lot of the, you know, different folks in, in ufology and some of the top researchers. And, and um, you know, it, it's been just this golden opportunity to pursue something that just fascinates me. And, you know, I'm having the time of my life. That's very interesting. I did not realize that MUFON was that dedicated to a structure. I didn't know that they had an uh, official training program and a manual, and I didn't know that they had the mentorship program. I always just assumed it was kind of a loose collection of people with the same interests. I didn't realize that there was a, an institutionalized approach to it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's a worldwide organization. Uh, and they have chapters, you know, around the world internationally. It's sort of set up like a corporate franchise structure. The, the uh, headquarters to the main umbrella organization is, you know, um, here in the United States. And it's uh, run out of uh, Huntington Beach, California. Um, and then the, each state or region or area has a chapter. And that chapter is where the investigators are assigned. And really the reason for that is, you know, among all other things, UFO investigations are very geographic centric. You know, what happened? Where did it happen? When did it happen? I mean, those are the criti most critical factors. And so when you go to investigate, it's extremely helpful to have local knowledge, you know what airports or military bases or military operating areas are there? What are, you know, what are the common things that people do? You know, like here in Arizona, it's real popular to have um, like uh, sky lanterns released for all sorts of things, you know, sweet 16s or, or graduation and things like that. So you just, there's a lot of local flavor to what goes on and, and oftentimes they're very relevant to a UFO investigation. So it, that's why it's set up that way. So um, I belong to the Arizona chapter. In fact, the city of Phoenix or a Phoenix chapter as well. We have a chapter also in Sedona, Arizona and one in Sholo, uh, which are kind of Northern Arizona. Uh, chapters and so those investigations um, are run out of those for with about 15 eh, we have almost 20 investigators right now in, in Arizona so yeah it's a very structured good quality training good support 
you know, I, I advocate anyone that's interested, you know, go for it, become a, a MUFON investigator. They always need help. Um, it's, you know, a volunteer organization, but um, you're not left, you know, to be willy nilly on anything. It's, it's very organized and structured and you get a lot of support. And so uh, I highly recommend it. And it's, it was just a great fit for me, I guess, in my career background and my technical background. Yeah, that's very cool. So what does an investigation look like? So someone says that they think they saw a UFO, maybe they have a picture or a uh, stereotypical blurry shaky camera footage because mm -hmm. that seems to be the only, <laughs> only thing people can capture. And then they call MUFON. What happens next? Yeah, so um, a person submits a report on MUFON.com. And it has a database that you submit your report in, and it has about 200 data points in it, uh, in that uh, report submission. And, you know, obviously the things such as their name, address, phone number, email, and that contact data, that, that is, um, you know, personally identifying information and that is, you know, held in an area where, you know, not everyone can see it. So person's privacy is, is maintained. But um, then there are a lot of fields <clears throat> that pertain to this sighting itself. So, you know, what did you see and describe it? And there's like boxes you can check to say, hey, you know, what was the shape? And it gives you a choice, you know, is it triangular or square or spherical or whatever? Uh, you know, what color and what kind of the light did it emit? And just all these data points and, um, you know, obviously where it happened. And so once all of that data kind of gets submitted, then it's assigned to the appropriate chapter based on the region or the locale of the sighting. And then an investigator like myself would be assigned to it. And um, one of the pillars, I guess, of, of an investigation is, is the interview of, of the reporting person. And that's extremely important. And a lot of people, I know, you know, you, you credibility is a big issue when it comes to somebody telling their story and what they saw, right? And, um, you know, you, that's something you have to tease out in your skill as an investigator and in the interview process to, you know, determine whether the person is, you know, being truthful and forthright or if they're being, um, you know, too gullible or, you know, eas easily distracted or whatever the case is. But you, you can tease that in the interview process. And so you interview them and you get more data, uh, you know, to, to help manage the data that they've submitted in the report. And then you do look at physical evidence if there is any. So, and that is rare, you know, and by physical evidence, I mean something like, you know, broken tree branches and gouges in the ground and chemical or radiological residue or things like that, um, which is more rare, but it, it does happen. Um, and then kind of the third pillar I think is, is photo, video, or radar imagery. And those things also are part of that investigative process. So when you do an investigation, you're really collecting all of the pertinent evidence that you can, and then you perform an analysis of that. You establish credibility. You also, um, you know, in a very scientific way, you analyze that data. Um, say it's a photo or a video, um, you know, we run it through software that, you know, you can verify that, you know, it was taken when and where it was said. And, you know, you'll know the camera type and just a whole bunch of data like that. And then if you, um, you know, need to 
take it further, then there's, you know, more complex software that you can use and you can detect whether it's been altered in some way or not. So um, you really do go to that level of detail when you conduct an investigation. And overall, I would say the principle is it's a process of elimination. So, you know, somebody, let's take a classic light in the sky at night type of uh, report. There's a lot of those, right? People aren't used to seeing stuff in the sky. They see it and it, it, it's impressive to them and they think, you know, maybe this is a UFO and they make that report. Well, um, you know, those, those are hard to come up with, uh, you know, a good explanation because they usually have very little data that, that you can go with. But for example, um, you, you know, you eliminate things like the, the International Space Station or you know other satellites or astronomical features planets and stars that kind of thing or you know sky lanterns or drones and you know you can determine a lot of that stuff there's software like i have an application called planes live and you can look at a geographic area and live and click on an airplane image that it has you know on the screen and all the data comes up like flight number and what kind of plane it is and it's or you know, origination point and its destination point and its altitude and its bearing from you and all of this really terrific data just right at your fingertips. So it's that kind of stuff that you use to help eliminate all of the obvious stuff. So, but once you, once you get down and you've gone through all that and you've eliminated that, then maybe what you're left with is an unknown, you know, a true unknown. And I do like to make the distinction between an unknown versus I don't have enough data so, so, you know, sometimes you have insufficient data and that's the conclusion you make because you just don't have enough information to do anything with. But if you get to the point where you, you are identifying this as a true unknown, it's because you've eliminated everything else in a, in a you know, verifiable way. And, and so, you know, no airplanes, no, you know, there's no stars, there's no planets, no blah, 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 blah. And you work, you know, work through that. So, in general, that's how the process works. And, you know, we have 90 days basically to uh, invest the case and, you know, wrap it up. Uh, although typically we try and get them done within a 30 day period, but it depends on the case and the complexity and, you know, the communication back and forth between the reporting person and yourself. And, you know, it takes time. It's tough to schedule people to get together and so forth. So, um, but that's it in a nutshell. That's very interesting. So MUFON's been around for a while, and I can only imagine the number of cases. So I think at this point in time, it's probably fair to say that they have an awesome amount of data. And once you have an awesome amount of data, then you can kind of start painting pictures. So I'm so incredibly curious about getting my hands on that data and seeing what happens, right? So you mentioned size, shapes, there has to be trends at this point. Do you have any idea oh, what yeah. some of those trends might be? Oh, yeah. So, you know, that's, that's a really good point. Um, in our CMS or our case management system, um, we have over, I think I saw 108,000 cases in that database. Now, MUFON started in 1969. Obviously, there wasn't a database in 1969 for MUFON. Uh, that didn't come till uh, you know a couple decades later. But 
MUFON also has a ton of reports that um, are on paper, basically. And I'm thinking I heard there's something like 70,000 of those cases. And there's a large project going on right now called the Mars Project, where they're digitizing all of those um, past cases and getting those in a, you know, obviously a format that will last forever. Um, and that, so to your point, yeah, absolutely. When you put data in a, in a database, now you have the power of aggregation and, and, you know, analysis and you can, you can, you can see a lot of trend data. So like in the past, say for example, a lot of the sightings were of the classic disc or flying saucer shape. Right. And that's, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. You have a lot of reports with that. Then in the 80s, we started getting reports of triangular shaped craft or rectangular shaped craft. And then and then other shapes, you know, uh, of late, like in the 90s and 2000s. Now there's a lot of this orb sighting activity, you know, balls of light. Um, and so it, it, it seems to evolve and change. Now we still get disks and we still get spheres and we get, we get a mix of everything, but I'm just saying you can see how there it was, there is a change and a trend in, in what is seen and, and how it's reported at any rate. So um, yeah, it's incredibly powerful. And that information is, is made available to folks if they want to perform research. And as I mentioned earlier, like if a person is um, made a report and they want to remain anonymous, and even if they don't want to remain anonymous, we would still have to get them to um, sign a document that authorizes us to release their name, for example. In other words, that's always protected. That's the base level is anonymity is protected. So people can feel comfortable and confident in making a report and that, you know, their information isn't going to get out there. And even when they do, like I said, we make sure that it's authorized in writing. So I think it's a very, uh, very important part of ufology to have an organization like MUFON in place and, um, and investigating these things. And, there are other organizations that are absolutely wonderful, like the recent one, this is uh, SCU, uh, Scientific Co Coalition for uh, Studying U UFOs, um, and another organization, KUFOS, Dr. Heineck had, had started, and, and there are investigators and people carrying that work out there as well. So MUFON's not the only game in town, but certainly is the oldest and, and the largest. And as I said, that just seemed to fit me and, and that's why I went with it. That's very cool. So it's interesting to hear about the trends, you know, from the discs to the triangles to the orbs. And, you know, there's so many orbs going on now. You know, if you listen to the stories of Skinwalker Ranch, orbs are out there like crazy yes. in the whole U Utah Basin area. And I always wonder, you know, is that considered a, a ufo or a ufp but I, I guess according to mufon that definitely fits within that uh that classification huh yeah so it depends and i i'm with you on that so in my mind loss can't be well i won't say can't because there's nothing for sure in this business but it does not seem to be the same as you know a 200 foot ball of light you know 10,000 feet in the air zipping around. Um, so 
there, there has to be a distinction, at least in my mind, that there, there is a difference just because, you know, let's say that an orb in the sense of a, a light in the sky, you know, it could be a craft, there could be an object under there and its propulsion system is creating this, you know, plasma around it. And, you know, that's all that you can see with the naked eye. Um, whereas maybe like, you're, you know, in a paranormal setting, you know, you're ghost hunting in a house and you see these little balls of light come around. I just don't think those are the same thing. Um, and some of them are kind of translucent or transparent and all that. So, but yes, if someone makes a report to MUFON, regardless of, you know, what it is, we're going to investigate it. I mean, we investigate abductions as well. I've had four or five of those cases. And so, um, we don't turn anyone away in that sense. And we have expertise in, in most of all those areas. And in fact, we even have a, an experiencer research team, basically, uh, once somebody has made a report about a UFO and revealed, you know, abduction went, went along with that, then we kind of handle the UFO investigation with our right hand and then with our left hand. Um, they, they are referred to the ERT, and this team helps them deal with the um, abduction side of it. And so uh, in that way, I think MUFON is, you know, trying to, you know, accommodate people who need to get this kind of stuff off their chest, make a report. And again, it's, it's data and it's historical and it's, you know, something that can be analyzed and aggregated and distributed and studied. So, um, you know, it's, it's, I think that's a, a good thing on, on MUFON's part. Absolutely. So are there areas of the country that are more active than others? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I don't know if you're familiar, um, Cheryl Costa has uh, put together uh, a UFO desk reference, and it's basically data regarding sightings across the, the U.S., um, and it's done as, as narrow as by city, by county, by state, by region, um, and it slices and dices that data a thousand different ways. It's an awesome awesome reference uh, but yes <clears throat> so there are certain areas that are known hot spots I guess and you know the reason why it might be debatable but let's say for example California has probably the most reports at least there's like three or four major areas that kind of trade top position uh, uh, you know California definitely the LA area Arizona is another hot spot um, you have quite a bit of activity, uh, you know, uh, Texas and Florida and New York, and then really everywhere in between. It's amazing how, how many reports there are and, and people are seeing things, but there's definite hot spots. And maybe that's more related to, hey, the people in LA are outside a lot more than maybe the people are in, you know, Minnesota, you know, you, you don't, you're not out there when it's 10 below. But in LA, it's still 70 degrees in the winter, right? So you have this year-long uh, time period for people to make observations. And that's true of Arizona as well and Texas and Florida. So maybe just the viewing opportunity is greater there. So maybe that accounts for why there's more. But um, and there's also kind of a joke in the UFO world about, um, you know, people having made reports and 
I can't tell you how many of them start off with, well, I was out walking my dog and I saw a UFO or I was out having a smoke and, you know, saw a UFO. And, and so I think that just kind of captures or illustrates, you know, when it is people are seeing things, um, you know, and it's where they have a moment or two to look up and, and notice. But I've always thought, what is up there that we don't notice, right? We're busy about doing our day working and shopping and do whatever yard work, blah, blah, blah. And we're never really just taking the time to stand there and look up for a while. So who knows what we're missing, but um, you know, I think that's just interesting. And I always say this about ufology is that it, it's as much about people as it is anything else. You know, the, the, the interaction that we have and, and the, the reaction that we have and, you know, the influence that it has upon us. It just, I find that totally fascinating. There's really a political science side to it that uh, really drives me. So I think that's kind of cool too. No, that's very interesting. You know, the, the warm weather philosophy, uh, I guess, idea is a, is a powerful one. Cause yeah, you're right. There's so many things there. I mean, LA is obviously very populated, so there's more people that can, mm-hmm see ufos but then they're also outside because the weather's nice and it's hard to say but then you throw in new york right new york has the population but then they also have the cold weather so uh, you know it's yeah you almost kind of need to see it on like a per capita basis to kind of get a to get an idea but it kind of sounds like maybe it's just all over the place and across the board yeah i i really think that is the case and whatever the fluctuations are they're probably localized and and you know just dependent on on things um but you know the overall trend is that you know sightings are up and just kind of an interesting side note um was discussing this with some of our colleagues is um with the covid we were discussing whether it would make an impact on ufo sightings or not and so what i did is i i looked up the months of, I think it was March, April, no, it was February, March, and April last year, 2019, and compared those numbers to this year. And so for like the months of uh, April and and uh, March and April, the number of reports nearly doubled. And so again, what does that say? Uh, and, you know, you think about it, people are at home. People are kind of captive. Maybe they're hanging out in their backyard around the fire pit, you know, and looking up and around and whatever it may be. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating subject all the way around when you, when you look at it. So I just love that part of it. Yeah, no, that, that's very interesting. You know, and there's, there's a couple of theories, I guess, that you could dive down into with, uh, with why they are up. But I'm curious to see with the abduction thing. What's your take on that? Like your personal opinion on the abduction. I've had people message me through the show about their own experiences. And I honestly, I don't mm-hmm. know what to do with it. So I don't really engage yeah. too much. Uh, I just don't know what I think about that. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you there. Um, you know, this kind of goes to my, just my core, my core belief system or, I mean, you know, I was a religious person for a lot of years. I no longer am. Um, and when I, when I ceased to do so, I, I, I thought to myself, you know, I want to make sure that I don't let belief cloud fact in, in terms of my view of ufology and, and certainly in making an investigation you know, I want everything to be fact-based. I want to know. I don't want to believe. I want to be be a believer. I want to be a knower, right? 
So uh, I guess that that's part of the appeal of MUFON to me, being an investigator so that I can know. So the, the issue though with, with abduction is, you know, I wasn't there. I don't know if that happened to you or not, you know, and um, I, it, I find, I think personally, it's extremely important to treat people with dignity and respect. And uh, especially if somebody has gone out on the limb to make a report about this kind of thing, we all know the skepticism that comes with that. And in fact, it's worse than that. It's like ridicule, right? Um, and so a person either, you know, it was brave of them to do this in the first place. And I'm not there to, you know, ridicule them. I'm just not going to do that. Um, now, obviously, I, I, I'm not going to just believe what people say. I'm going to investigate it and I'm going to try and, you know, establish some facts. And, and I know that, look, this, this topic is so mysterious and enigmatic and, and, and it's just, there's no way you're going to have enough fact to really make a, a definitive conclusion. So when I, what I will just say in my, my, my position now is simply, um, this could be happening. It's not for me to say it has or not. It, it certainly could be. And when I conduct an investigation with that person, I, I'm trying to be completely agnostic, very, um, you know, non-judgmental in terms of that. You know, I'm going to gather facts and I'm going to apply those facts and and follow them. And where it leads me, I will go. And that's it. So, you know, it, it is. It's a it's a difficult topic. Um, but I will say this. Not everybody that makes that report is crazy. Not everyone is a liar. You know, there has to be something to it. And so I reserve judgment for what that is until I get more data. But bottom line is, yeah, I'll listen to it. I'll watch it. I'll, I'll um, you know, reserve the possibility that it is happening. And again, I wasn't there. I don't know. And, um, you had said something earlier. I thought that that was pretty good. Is about, um, you know, how do you decide what you believe or know about this this topic? And, and and I just have to say that you know, as I mentioned, I don't want to be a believer. I want to be a knower. But at the same time, I know that this topic is very elusive, and there are scant facts. I mean, we have some facts, and you know, that we can develop theories based on those facts and some things we can prove, but there's a lot we can't. And I don't think we have enough data to even put together a, the big picture yet. So, and I'm, I'm kind of a big picture guy. I, I, I like to start there. What's the big picture? What's happening? And then drill down from there. But um, it, it's pretty difficult in this, you know, who, who is it and why are they doing it? don't know now somebody might know you know might be government people that know or these experiencers they might know and and I, i'll give you that if if i saw a flying saucer myself or if i was abducted i would have to say yeah i'm a knower i'm not a believer right anyone that's had that experience is going to feel that way and who, who am i to you know reject that so um but, you know, I take it all with a grain of salt. And, and in terms of an investigation, I, I leave it open. And in terms of my, my judgment, I gather the facts, apply them, analyze it, make a conclusion, and roll with that.
and that's sometimes as good as it gets. It's a, it's a little bit of a frustrating experience if you're a person who's got to know and got to wrap a wrap it up with a night nice neat little bow. Uh, UFO investigations not for you because there's always ambiguity. It's always going to exist until literally they land on the White House lawn, kind of thing. Yeah. No, that that's a good point, you know, and it can be frustrating because I I want to know as well, and I don't know that we will ever know, uh, and that kind of sucks. But I also believe <laughs> that someday we we might know because you mentioned the White House lawn thing, and I think that that's mm. a very real possibility. Um, and I think if UFOs ever decide to be fully known, I think that's exactly how they're going to do it. Yeah, and, and you know, what's really interesting is, look, we're living in a world right now where the truth is under assault in, in a lot of different ways, right? Um, whether it's the media or, um, you know, we, it's very difficult to nail down anything as proof. Um, for example, videos and photographs. I mean, look. YouTube has a million of them on there, but the mo the majority are fraudulent. They're known fraudulent. And it's easy to fake a photo or a video these days. In the old days, when you had analog film, you had to, you know, hang hang a lampshade off a fishing pole and take a picture of it to create a, a hoax, right? I mean, that that's the extent of it. Today, you don't need anything like that. In fact, there's applications on your phone. You can insert a UFO into a photo and it looks pretty dang good just like that. You know, it's just so easy to do. And the incentive is there because, again, you know, all you do is you put a catchy title up and, you know, on YouTube and you start loading videos and you get people's attention and then it gets monetized and bam, you know, you're, you're making more money off a YouTube channel than if you wrote a serious book or something. I mean, it, it's just, that is the state of our world. And so you, it's like a hall of mirrors. You're, everything is just, you know, it's very difficult to nail it down. And, you know, you could nail it down. Like you could see a video there and, and you could do some research. You could reverse Google search the image and stuff, and you could do some investigating. You might be able to trace it back to its origin, but even then, who's going to take the time to do that? I mean, you know, you're going to, you're just, browsing there for 30 seconds and then you're off to the next thing you're not going to devote 10 hours of research on the legitimacy of a specific video so i mean this is why they exist and it continues to exist it's just the world that we're living in so i find that pretty frustrating but i will say when the day comes when it comes that we do identify the who and the why I do think photographic and video imagery will be part of that, but it, it will only be part of the case, right? That, you know, who brings it to our attention? You know, if the president stands up there from a podium and says, you know, citizens, we are not alone. Okay. You show the video or the photo, people are going to believe that, right? But we already have tons of very solid, legitimate evidence. And uh, I think you might want to talk a little bit about the case because I know you spoke to Gary and have interviewed him. I mean, just in the last few weeks, the United States Navy, the Department of Defense have acknowledged that UFOs are real. They are unknowns. Now, that should be the 
biggest news of of humanity at this point but it you know it gets a little play on cnn and fox news and you see a few interviews and things like that but it's largely a, a collective ho-hum you know i i just can't believe it um but for example the the cases i'm speaking of the 2004 nimitz aircraft carrier group case uh with what was been coined as the tic tac video uh this is military gun camera footage um, and th that video has been released. There are two other videos, uh, uh, Go Fast and a Gimbal video uh, recorded uh, off the East Coast uh, in 2015 um, with the Roosevelt Carrier Group. Uh, <clears throat> and in the 70 years or so since, let's say, the Roswell, which is kind of the startish of the modern UFO era, the military has never, never released one gun camera video. They've had gun cameras for decades and decades and decades, and it's never been done. It was just done, you know, and it shows unknowns. The, the Navy has said, these are unknowns. It's not us. It's not the Russians. It's not the Chinese. It's technology that's way above any of us. That should be just earth shattering. So uh, it amazes me. So my point just being is that even when the truth smacks you right in the face, it doesn't mean people are even going to believe it. So I don't know what the answer to that is. Maybe the whole, yeah, land on the light, uh, White House lawn. But even then, I wonder, there will be people that won't believe that. So it's a pretty frustrating thing. But I think, as you mentioned, someday I think we may know. But how we get there, I'm not sure. Yeah. That's all true. I believe you because there, there is objective truth in this world and I'm a firm believer of that. And some people will tell you that that does not exist. And then some people would disagree on what that objective truth is. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. and it's just so such a <laughs> circular thing and it just gets maddening very quickly. But I'll also say that on the other hand, that you need to maintain a certain amount of skepticism at the same time. Uh, you got to walk sure. the line. And I see yep. it both ways. You know, I, I've seen people who are absolute believers and everything is proof. And I've seen people who are absolute skeptics and everything is fake. My personal mm -hmm. opinion is be very cautious about who we're listening to. Um, the same government that released Navy videos is also the same government that has been involved in countless wrongdoings and deception campaigns. Mm -hmm. So it, it, mm -hmm. it's so hard because yeah, you want to say U S Navy releases UFO videos and you know it, and we want to, to, to take that as fact and to take that as validity. But then we also have to keep in mind that they have made careers out of deceiving people at the same time. So oh, yeah. this, this truth is somewhere in the middle in there. And I don't know where, but uh, it's important to just keep both of those sides in mind when we're thinking about these kind of things. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Especially like, for example, those cases I just mentioned, um, the DOD has released very conflicting statements over the last two, three years when those, since those videos have been released. Um, 
you know, outright denials and then changing, you know, changing the story uh, back and forth. So totally agree with you there. And when you think about it, um, you know, it is an intelligence matter. It really is. It, it, and, you know, you kind of have two different camps. Some people think that, you know, oh, aliens are good and here to help us. And other people think, oh, they're bad and they're here to take us over and, you know, kind of stuff in between. But, but the thing is, is just from this perspective, if you have objects flying in the sky that are not, um, you know, flashing transponders, they're not following flight paths, they're performing, you know, maneuvers and speeds that are highly conflictive with normal aircraft activity. At a bare minimum, this is a safety threat, right, for aviation. Um, and then if you're in the military, you're going to look at that as, as uh, an intelligence or, or a military threat as well. You know, the, the capability of these things that they're demonstrating is, you know, superior. And so <clears throat> I get that, you know, that is a concern and issue from government. And I feel that is legitimate, right? That they're charged with protecting us. So, and, and you can't reveal all that you know in those sorts of things. I don't want to know what I shouldn't know. You know, I'm not one of those people that, you know, do that. I, I think there are things that should not be shared with everyone. However, I think they take it too far and there's things that they could share that they don't. And so, but again, that's just like what you're pointing out, objective truth. It, it's not black or white. It's, it's all gray. And it's, you know, how you look at it and it's in the details and that whole thing. So, um, but one of the points I just wanted to make was, you know, right now we are closer and have had more information available to us than we have in 70 years of studying this, which totally fascinates me. So, and that's what gives me the glimmer of hope that this might be something that we will learn the identity of at least in our, in our lifetimes, I'm hoping. Um, but, you know, we'll have to see, because I think just as you said, that the, the curtain can be closed as quickly as it was pulled back, you know, on this stuff. And, and so, you know, we you just, I think you just got to be reasonable. You have to be balanced. You, you know, you have to follow the data and the verifiable stuff. And then the rest of it that you can't, yeah, go ahead and develop a theory, try and work that theory. But as you said, be very careful about how far you take it, you know, and that, that's one of my issues as well as an investigator. I, I just, I want to, I follow the data. That's it. You know, what you can verify. And then, and when you talk to people, make sure that you clarify what I'm speaking about today is actual verifiable proof, or this is my opinion, or this is a theory. Clearly state that so that, you know, you're not misleading people. And also you're helping people think critically. And, and so, you know, you do have the true believers who are just, you know, gullible. And like you said, everything is a UFO. And then you have the opposite end. You have debunkers who I don't care if it landed on my front lawn, it's still not a UFO. You know, they, everyone has their thing, their agenda or their, their bent or their leaning. So um, my goal is just kind of live in the middle as much as I can. Yeah, no, that that's very, that's a very good goal to have, you know, and if you can kind of keep that objectiveness, 
then I think you will be in a good position to not be swayed one way or the other. Uh, I had Mick West on the show and he is a uh, kind of a professional world-class debunker and he had a lot of opinions on it and I don't agree with all of them, but it was interesting to see what he had to say, you know, because I, I'm kind of in the other camp. I acknowledge that the phenomenon is real. I have no idea what it is. Uh, I would like to know. Mm -hmm. It might scare the living shit out of me if I do actually find out (laughs) what I admit that, but uh, no kidding. (laughs) <laughs> so what do you yeah, think no, the yeah, uh, no doubt what do you think the origin of it is on that note so nuts and bolts but nuts and bolts man-made uh foreign government alien something else yeah good good question and i'll tell you uh i'm evolving in my my opinion as i gather more data so when i first started as i mentioned i was a total nuts and bolts guy you know, what is that metallic object in the sky right there? Man, that just drives me crazy not knowing what it is. I want to find that out. But over the years, as I began to, um, you know, learn more, that theory that they are an actual craft flying here from somewhere else, you know, presumably another planet, solar system, or from a mothership from that place and coming down our atmosphere. I mean, that whole ETH uh, theory, you know, that, I mean, that still could be the case, but it seems not likely because of the vast distances, for example, and they are vast and we can't even get our mind really around how vast they are. So there's that. But then also, there's this other side to them that is very um, non-physical. You know, now somebody might say, hey, you know, they, uh, they have cloaking capability or, you know, that's a possibility, I guess. But then there's others who think, you know, maybe this is a dimensional thing. You know, we have three dimensions, physical dimensions, plus the time, space, fourth dimension. But what if there's five dimensions or six dimensions or seven dimensions and they're, they're around us all the time, but we can't perceive them because we're built to perceive in the, in the three or four dimensions. So maybe that's it. Or, you know, maybe there is, um, you know, multiple universe or parallel universes. And, you know, I think it's string theory that said, you know, there's like 11 universes and big bubbles and sometimes they bump together and where they bump together is some little crease or seam and, and, you know, there's some crossover there or something. I mean, there's a lot of ideas out there. Other people are now bringing forth this concept of consciousness and that they're, you know, a product of, of our will to our conscious effort to, you know, create them or something. I don't know. I mean, it, there's a lot to it, but my gut feeling, because, you know, you also have to consider paranormal stuff as well. Is it all the same source or are they different sources? You know, I don't know. I don't think we have enough data yet to tell, but I think my, my gut feeling is, is that there is something more to it than just nuts and bolts physical. I think the evidence shows that the data shows that and what conclusion can be made again i don't think you can make a conclusion yet you still don't have enough we don't know enough but um at any rate to me it's still fascinating and i think you know with enough if we had enough scientific 
you know, scrutiny on this thing, we might be, I'm sure we could derive more data and we might be able to make some, you know, stronger conclusions. But, you know, as you know, it's very difficult to get science involved with it. There, there are plenty of scientists who are involved, make no mistake, even if they're not public about it. And there is some good information there, but I'm talking like, you know, universities and, you know, the government itself having full blown study programs and, you know, get universities on it and all sorts of folks and really, you know, get this thing figured out, but there's still such a stigma with it. And I think, um, from a scientist perspective, you know, this, this phenomena, I, I think that's the best term for it. This phenomena toys with us. It, it's not, you know, a, a concept of science is, you know, you replicate something, you make an observation, you make a theory based on that observation, you test that observation, you conduct experiments to confirm it and not. And then, you know, based on that answer, you either repeat or you move on to the next step in your theory and try and, and verify that. But these things don't cooperate. You can't start. You don't even know where they are, when they are, when they're going to appear, when they're not going to appear. I mean, how do you study that or replicate that or experiment with that? It's just, it, it would be an, a very challenging scientific effort uh, to, to study. However, we don't do things because it's easy. <laughs> you know, we do those things because it's hard. We, we, we want to we want to figure this stuff out. So I'm just hoping that our culture changes enough that it allows for that kind of attention on the subject. And I will say, even in the last 10, 12 years I've been involved with this, it has changed light years. I mean, the people that are involved now, it, it, it's just so encouraging to me. And, and, you know, I have a connection to some of, some of those folks as well. And, um, I, I let's just say I'm, I'm just really pleased with the way some things are going now. Yeah, that, that's very interesting. You made a good point when you mentioned the scientific theory. You know, when you have a theory, you you test it, and then you look for things that are observable and repeatable. And there's nothing repeatable about UFOs, and there's hardly anything observable in most cases. So at, yeah. at a certain point, it comes down to like, what are we really talking about here? Uh, you know, so if you want to get yeah. Harvard or MIT on board to study mm -hmm. UFOs, well, you got to give them a UFO to study. You know, and if we can't do exactly. that, then they have nothing to study, and then yeah, they're they're gone forever because uh, they follow you away as a, as a quack, and then that's that. So, yeah, the theory there, I guess, would be why are they so deceptive and elusive? You know, mm -hmm. because in my experience, if somebody was that elusive and that deceptive. Uh, then they're usually up to something, right? And you can almost yeah. always infer nefarious intent. Mm -hmm. No, totally agree with you. That That's an excellent question. Um, and so I've heard a couple different theories with that. One is like, maybe it's like Star Trek and the whole prime directive. And you, when, when you come across a, a, an inferior species, you don't interject yourself. You don't reveal yourself to them because you don't want to, alter their evolutionary path or whatever. So, you know, I guess that's as reasonable conclusion as any. Uh, other people think, yeah, they're preparing to invade us and study us and, and then, you know, we're going we're gonna to get taken over or destroyed or something. I mean, there's a lot of different thoughts to that. But I, I agree with you. It, they have to ha there has to be a reason they're not fully revealing themselves to us. However, 
they're revealing themselves a little bit. You know, it's like a tease. Like I said, we're being toyed with. And, and so w- what does that say? Are they like gently acclimating us to, you know, the point where we will meet at some time and, and they don't want us to, you know, completely lose our minds. And, and so they're drip feeding us with images and, you know, references to them and that kind of thing. And, you know, pop culture, you know, we've been seeing movies about them since the fifties and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, that, I think that's legitimate too. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe, maybe they're scientists and they're studying us and, um, you know, maybe it's a little bit of the prime directive thing, but maybe it's, you know, they're, they're being gentle with us in some regards, but, you know, I'm sure if you listen to abductees and some of the experiences they had that they don't seem very pleasant, very kind, particularly careful, uh, you know, um, and maybe that's related to, they don't have emotion like us and, you know, we're that different and they don't get it that they're hurting us or I don't know. I mean, it's just so, that's part of the fascination of it, frankly. I mean, now, like you said earlier, I mean, I personally have never seen a UFO. Um, I did have a sighting, but I'm not going to say that's what it was, but um, it was an interesting sighting. And then, um, you know, never been abducted or anything like that. And so, you know, with, without that experience, it's just hard for me to say one way or another, right? You know, I don't know if I didn't experience it. I don't know if I don't have objective demonstrable data and evidence to point to and say, that's a fact. Then, you know, it kind of remains in that ambiguous little status. (laughs) It's frustrating. (laughs) Yeah. No, absolutely. And that was going to be my last question, if you had any uh, personal sightings, but you kind of answered that before I got to it. And not yeah. anything that made it just uh, a clear black and white, yes, that was a UFO, just enough to give you pause and enough to, to give you a little bit of uh, question marks there from what it sounds like. Yep, exactly. So, and, you know, I I I am kind of an anomaly in that, that regard because a lot of the people in this field – got into it because they did have a sighting um, or an experience and, you know, it, it motivated them uh, to get involved. I just was kind of out of intellectual curiosity. And, and like I said, I, I, uh, my skill set and some things I, I've done kind of translated it well to it. And, and the Phoenix lights incident at least sparked my curiosity enough that, you know, I got involved, but um you know, as I mentioned, I totally respect and, and uh, treat with dignity people who have had any of these experiences. I'm fascinated by it, love to listen to it. And, you know, there's no doubt this, this stuff is real. There's just a mountain of evidence, but what it is, we just don't know. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's fair. And that's a good place to end it. So I want to thank you for coming on the show. It's been an awesome conversation. I learned a lot about MUFON, which I didn't know. uh, And that's always a good thing. So if people wanted to get in touch with you or find out more about you, where can they do that? Yeah, so um, you can certainly, uh, I I can be reached by email at um, Shane, S-H-A-N-E, at phoenixmufon.com. Or my uh, personal email is herdranch, H-U-R-D-R-A-N-C-H at AOL.com. Also on Facebook, I'm on there a bit. I'm also affiliated with Rogue Planet TV and uh, can be reached uh, on their contact data as well on that webpage. So 
a couple different ways you can do it. And I would love to hear from you and um, reach out to me. And I'd love to help you get involved with MUFON if that's your interest. If, if it's anything else, let's do it. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for that. Thanks for coming on the show. You've been a great guest. Yeah, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Patriot Media Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Please subscribe, rate, review, share with your friends, and consider being a donor. If you donate to the show, it helps me grow the podcast to reach more people just like you. And also, I will give 10% of each donation back to homeless veterans. Thanks for listening.